welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community. Hello and welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, episode number 54 for Wednesday, October 26th, 2016. Today I am chatting with Amy Allison, the Vice President on the Executive Board of Women in Games International. Hello, Amy. Hello. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me and for being interested in our programs. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for your time. We're going to be talking specifically about a collaboration that uh, Wiggy recently had with the Girl Scouts of Greater Los Angeles. But I want to back it up a bit first because it's been a long time since I've had a representative of Wiggy on the show. It dates all the way back to the summer that the podcast launched two years ago. We had one of your five co-founders on the show, Sherry Grainer Ray. Oh, I love Sherry. Isn't she wonderful? She is really wonderful. Like I would even step it up to say amazing. She is a live wire to be sure. But for those listeners of Polygamer who may not have been listening to our show way back when, could you give us a brief overview of what is Women in Games International? Well, it's a group made up of not just women, but also male professionals in the industry to kind of promote the inclusion and advancement of women in the whole global industry as far as games and video games are concerned. We try to do that by promoting diversity in development teams, publishing teams, education and workspaces. And it's all based upon a fundamental belief that if we have increased equality and camaraderie among genders, um, that we can make bigger global impacts and superior products. So that's kind of what we stand for and the types of programs that we put on roll up under that. Um, umbrella of belief. And we're all volunteer. It's a completely free organization to join. It's just to help um, women learn, network, and advance in their careers. And this is an intersectional approach as well. You're interested in supporting all women of all walks of life, all demographics, all ages. Yes. And anybody who identifies as a woman, you know, but again, our programs are completely open to men as well. So men are some of the best allies that we have. So we're, it's open to everybody that's interested in trying to get like a more diverse group of people at the table when they're making games. And what is your role as the vice president on the executive board? I, along with the other people who are on the executive board, make steering decisions about where our goals are and where we should be focusing um, our energy and attention. Specifically, the programs that I head up, of course, is the Girl Scout for Greater Los Angeles patch for video game design. So that's my personal project that I kind of spearhead because we were starting to notice that we had to start catching people earlier rather than trying to recruit women who had already had an established career in a separate industry. Honestly, if you want to know the story about how that begins, I could go through that with you because it's kind of based on the fact that the Boy Scouts had one and we didn't and um, how that started. But we can probably have that conversation later. I'm sure that's one of your questions. Or we can do it right now, because that is something that I'm fascinated by. On September 24th and October 1st, Wiggy collaborated with the Girl Scouts of Greater Los Angeles to hold some workshops for young women to earn their video game patch. How did that collaboration between Wiggy and the GSGLA come about? This patch was actually uh, released in 2014 at the Girl Scouts of Greater Los Angeles whom I can call GSGLA. And uh, they had an event called Girltopia, and it was launched there. It falls under their STEM program, which I think they also call STEAM when you get to science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. Its origin story is this. We were at an executive 
meeting, um, trying to figure out some of the stuff that we were going to do. Like we throw parties at GDC and E3 for networking events. And we were working on our mentoring program. I had noticed that the Boy Scouts online somehow it popped up. The Boy Scouts had a game design patch <coughs> or a game, a game design loop, which is a thing that you put on your belt. So um, I was like, why don't the Girl Scouts have something like that? And it was literally just that sentence that came out of my mouth. And then we all looked at each other and we were like, well, let's go make that happen. So uh, the president of the organization, Belinda Van Sickle, was really cute. She calls it a duocracy. She's like, if you're willing to do this, then we will totally support you and however you want to do it. So I was like, well, I'm going to go figure out how to do that. So um, I went to Girl Scouts of uh, Greater Los Angeles, which is our local council, and um, had talked to a few people about what I wanted to do. And I had gotten to the STEM manager, whose name was Kristen at the time. And told her what I wanted to do. And she was like, well, what we can start with is you can't just come in and be like, oh, let's have a national badge because that's a very different process. And, you know, the Girl Scouts have been around a long time and they have like a very regimented curriculum. She's like, but a starting point could be this. So they have a patch system in all the councils across America where um, organizations can partner with them to build something that's a four-hour experience. So in order to do a patch, it had to be a four-hour experience for um, it to fall under the STEM umbrella, which I was um, passionate about. It had to have um, a piece of technology, So, but it could only max out as two hours. So four hours, two of which had to be using actual computer. It had to also have physical elements. So the kids couldn't just sit on a computer for four hours. So it had to have um, a physical component. And additionally, it had to have a professional component, which means kind of like what Gina Davis does with her organization. If she can see it, she can be it. So uh, there needed to be a portion where they could explore where this could lead to as a career, which was really what we were hoping for. That led to another problem. They were like, well, if you want to host this program, you know, we have some computers, but you're going to have to find a space to host it. Or you're going to have to raise money to buy some Surface surface pros or something so we can teach this. So, so I had the frame of what was required to hit the patch requirements. Um, I had the goal of creating the curriculum or finding the partners to make that happen. The knowledge that we were going to have to find some hardware to run it. And additionally to the hardware, it was a very strict rule that this patch technology could not require any hard specific hardware that they could use at home or any downloads. You would need to be able to say, go to a local library and be able to do it. So you couldn't have anything to download. It just had to be internet based. So from there, I went to find a online game creator. Uh, most of the game creators were things that you had to download. So it was a very small market. And that's when I ran into Eline Media. Eline Media is a company that, um, they're involved in the STEM, the National STEM Challenge, where the winner gets to go and meet the president. And the thing that they use with National Game STEM Challenge is their program called Game Star Mechanic. So they were established. They had already worked on um, a STEM program. So their curriculum was already STEM aligned. They had a good name. They had an online and streaming game development program. So it was evident that they were going to be our partners because it fit all the requirements. They were happy to do it. So I had the partner for the curriculum. We had the idea that we were going to recruit women in games volunteers. So you had an actual female from the industry coming to teach the patches to the troops. So we were managing the volunteering and the training. They had managed, Eline had managed, managed the curriculum. 
And the last part of it was to find the funding. Well, luckily, because of their experience with the 2016 National STEM Video Game Challenge, Eline had connections at the ESA. The ESA is the lobbying group, the Electronic Software Association. They're the video game lobbying group in D.C. They were very keen to support this project. And because Eline had some connections there and they had done work with them in the past, we applied. Um, Girl Scouts helped write the grant to go along with it. So we had um, support to get the hardware. And we had, of course, sorted out all of the the sponsor requirements of like where their logos had to be and all that great stuff. And we launched it at Girltopia, which was a one-time event in 2014. It was a, but I don't think that it really took off, but we were, the whole village for the STEM village was called Game Changers because they were announcing the video game design patch, which was nice. It was held at the Los Angeles Convention Center. At that time, we kicked it off at Girltopia. I think it was in November of 2014. And then we hosted five sessions at the local council headquarters. Um, I forget what they're called. Where the but you know like the the girl sales have several offices around the Los Angeles area. So we held five, and they all sold out for for the Girl Scouts within I think a week. And we had all five filled. So we had trained the teachers. We all divided up who was going where to teach them, and they were wonderful. The kids loved it. We loved it. Um, the reviews came back wonderfully. Uh, however, I had a personal challenge because at that time and shortly thereafter, I had a second kid and I don't know if you have any children. (laughs) I can imagine how that might complicate what you were working on. Yeah. So, and especially since all the work that we do for women in games international is completely volunteer. Like I don't get paid to do any of this. You know, my, my priorities had to change a little bit and it was successful and we had met all of our our requirements of what we were going to do. But, you know, I was a little sad that it, it kind of went down after I had to shift my attention. But luckily, Christine Farmer, who has now stepped up to run the program, uh, she was kept nagging at me for the last year saying like, hey, I want to get this started again. I want to do some more stuff. And Christine is actually a real success story for Wiggy because she started coming to our events at when she wasn't even working in the industry, trying to network to get in the industry. And due to her involvement with women in games and her volunteerism, she was able to land a job because people knew her. They knew that she was a hard worker. So I'm really proud of her and how she's stepped up to lead this program because I couldn't do all the administrative, you know, shuffling and emailing anymore. With that, another strong member on the executive board, Chrissy Franco, was working on a partnership deal with Sony Santa Monica, um, the studio for PlayStation that does God of War and others. And they wanted to do something with Wiggy for their diversity month, which happens in October. And it just happened to be that we were all having these conversations at the same time. And they had heard about our patch program before. And in fact, Shannon Studstill, the head of studio over there, had come to Girltopia with me to do a panel for the Girl Scouts as part of the the conference offering. So she was actually on the panel. So she's been with the program since the beginning. And I'm a big fan of Shannon. There's so few studio heads um, that are women in the industry anyway. So they were like, why don't we relaunch this patch together? Because, you know, now my kid's a toddler. She's in daycare full time now. I took some time off to, to be with her. And now like we're ready to get things going again. So it seemed like that was the perfect way for us to do a sponsorship. 
What Sony had hoped for with the partnership and what we've delivered has been to train several of their employees. I think we ended up training maybe 10 of them overall uh, to become patch leaders. So these are now women who work in the industry from Sony Santa Monica that can go and teach the patch at the Girl Scouts if a troop requests it or if we have like a, a group area where people can sign up, like these teachers are now trained to do it. That was a huge part of the partnership for me because it's hard to find people who will give up their time and volunteer their time to get trained and then, you know, go out and work with 30 kids on their one Saturday off, you know, to, you know, share what they've learned. So we got 10 teachers out of the partnership, which has been wonderful. And then they were so kind to offer to host two of the patch sessions at their studio. So those were the two weekends that we had mentioned earlier on the piece. The girls that came to that session were from all different types of troops from around the area. So some of them knew each other. Some of them didn't. Um, They just all showed up and signed up. And I have a feeling that these two sessions also, the signups filled up incredibly quickly, I think even quicker than a week this time because there were only two. How many Girl Scouts filled up these workshops? How many participated? We can take 25 at a time because that's how many laptops we were able to purchase with the ESA funding. Great. Yeah. So there's 25 girls at a time and they are so adorable and they all bring their their things. And what was so great was there was even one girl this past time at Sony that um, had taken the patch the first time in 2014. So she had the patch already on her vest. So it was really great to see that she came back to repeat it. It's like there's different groups of age groups in Girl Scouts you have. So with Girl Scouts, you have daisies who are grades kindergarten through first, brownies, grades second and third, juniors, fourth and fifth, cadets, sixth through eighth, seniors, ninth through 10th, and ambassadors, 11th through 12th. This program is currently created for juniors and cadets. So anybody from fourth to eighth grade can take this patch currently. When we first started out, I think I mentioned to you that the STEM coordinator had told me that the best way to to go about this whole patch to badge process would be to create a patch, show that it was successful, um, and that kids were really interested. So in these two launches that we've done for the patch, they do sell out or the signups get filled up really quickly. We have it established in Los Angeles now. Sony wants us to actually go up to their um, San Mateo offices in the San Francisco Bay Area to do another one. So we're planning to spread the patch in two different cities. So we want to go to San Francisco, Chicago, New York, and in fact, anywhere that there's some industry professionals who are females or men. Um, but obviously we would prefer females because of the, if she can see it, she can be it a whole attitude. And that's what phase two is for us is to get this curriculum going in other cities by finding like Sony, a studio that might want to partner with us to say like, Hey, we've got a couple of female employees here that would like to do it. Like we'll sponsor it. We'll like help get the word out. We'll work with our local council because right now this patch is only available for the Girl Scouts of Greater Los Angeles. So um, I'm working with them to figure out what happens when we get those curriculum requests from other cities because we get them all the time and we have ever since we've launched in 2014. So we're, that's our next step and where our attention is going right now is how to take the programs to other cities because now that we've tried it in Los Angeles, it's proved that it's successful. It has proved that it is popular. And if we can get it into other cities and that continues to be the case, 
then perhaps Girl Scouts will consider having that as part of their badge curriculum. My daughter is a Girl Scout. She is currently a brownie. She's in third grade. Um, I'm not going to, you know, I was able to sneak her into the last session, which was really a big deal for me because she's an eight-year-old and she remembers me working on this so hard when she was six. And she finally got to take the patch with me as the teacher. And it was just this whole full circle moment for me, which is really great. And now she's got the patch on her sash and it just makes me beam with pride. And I'm really excited to have gotten to share that with my favorite Girl Scout. You mentioned that you want to expand to Chicago, New York, Boston, et cetera. And you'll probably need some local sponsors, as you mentioned, some mentors and teachers in each of those areas that you can train. And those would be coming from uh, people in the industry. How would you identify those partners? Uh, If a company heard this podcast and want to volunteer themselves to be a collaborator in issuing this patch locally in their region, what criteria would they need to meet? The partnership that we did with Sony, I think is going to be a good model for how different studios or other organizations can get involved in other cities. And this is how it worked out. I think I mentioned to you before, they were like, Hey, we want to participate in this program. What can we do? Like, how can we help you do this and how can we get involved? So we really looked at what we needed and what the resources were that were required. So for them, for us, it was easy. Like, especially if we're starting in a new city, I'm going to look for partners who can, uh, I guess, nominate several people from their studio, again, preferably women if possible, because if she can see it, she can be it. And somebody who's willing to possibly even host the first couple ones at their studio, if that's a possibility. If not, that's okay, because Girl Scouts usually have computer labs that they access for their other STEM programs like coding. So maybe considering that if they want to become a partner. There are a few administrative fees to to get the program running. So when I mention like a sponsorship, it's just you know, it's also benefits their studios too. It gets the word out that we're having it there. Um, but that helps with like patch, uh, curriculum, uh, pat the patches themselves, um, administrative costs for the Girl Scout councils, because, you know, they're, they're a fully, fully run organization on donations. So those types of things augment those costs for us. And in case we need to fly somebody out there to do the training, um, that's the kind of thing that those types of sponsorships would would do for us um, and help us spread it to different cities. So if somebody was listening to this podcast and wanted to participate or become a, a studio or a sponsor in some way, those are the types of commitments we would be looking for. One thing that I like about Wiggy, which is my favorite thing about Wiggy, and separates us from organizations like the um, IGDA WIGSIG, which is the International Game Developers Women in Games um, special interest group, <laughs> which is why we need acronyms. Alphabet soup. I know, right? Alphabet soup. Um, because the IGDA focuses mainly on people who work in development, and that's great because that's their mission. Women in Games International is different in the way that we include women that touch the industry in all different aspects. So you could work at a publisher, you could be in marketing, you could be in legal, you could be an executive at a publisher, uh, anything like that. So we're not just saying we could do this at a development studio. Yes, that's great. Um, luckily, Sony Santa Monica was a development studio, so that was wild and wonderful. Um, but we're even looking for like any kind of tech partners who are interested in that kind of program or highlight to their studio um, or their diversity portfolio. So those are the types of commitments we would look for for phase two in other cities. 
Now, since I've never been a Girl Scout, I probably should have asked this earlier. What is the difference between a patch and a badge? A lot of people ask how it started. And I had mentioned that we had seen some something cross our desk where the Boy Scouts had currently started to offer a video game belt loop. And they introduced it in 2010. And it included tasks regarding like video game ratings and consumer awareness. In 2012, they started to offer a video game design badge that included elements of gameplay for video games, as well as tabletop and role-playing and pen and paper games. But because of the Boy Scouts of America badge requirements and how that organization is run, um, the inclusion for outdoors was a requirement for their jamborees. So they couldn't really do both um, outdoors and technology at the same time. So even though they have a video game, design badge it doesn't include any technology so the girl scouts which a lot of people think is just a branch off of the boy scouts they're completely different organizations they have no affiliation whatsoever um so the girl scout uh patch like the badge of the boy scouts um will start as a local patch like their loop so they started with a loop in 2010 and then they moved to a badge in 2012 we are starting as a patch, which we did in 2014, and would love to move up to a badge. But like I said, they're completely different groups, and that process is very different. The patch that we do with the Girl Scouts of Greater Los Angeles will include an online and digital interactive experience, which allows it to fall under the STEM program. So when people ask what a patch is, the local Girl Scout councils will often work with community organizations such as Wiggy to develop patch programs outside of the Girl Scouts national proficiency badges that are found in the Girl's Guide to Girl Scouting. So they have a national proficiency badge program. So that's what badges are. You have to have a badge to move forward. This is just a patch program, which means it's an optional, an optional thing. So a patch is a locally approved program where a badge is something that's approved by the main organization nationally. Uh, patches are generally four-hour programs completed in the day um, a one-time thing where badges require longer commitments must include multiple options to complete the badge and cannot rely or rely on access to the internet. Um, patches do not impact a scout's progress in levels, badges, completions, or awards, but badges are those things that are required to pass through the Girl Scout process. Patches are usually worn on the back of the vest or sash, um, as the front of the sash is usually designated for nationally recognized badges and awards. So, that's where you would like find the patch with the differences between a patch and a badge. Did that answer most of your questions? It did. Do the Girl Scouts not already have any badges associated with programming or technology? The way that they have it separated, and again, because I am a Girl Scout mom and then I'm a patch founder, like I see things from two different like perspective and vantage points. Um, I with the Girl Scout video game design patch. Like I'm so focused on curriculum and in that STEM program. But when I do Girl Scouts with my daughter and I look through their curriculum, they have these several different paths that you can choose each year. Um, and then within those tracks, you have to pick like five of them. So there are some that I think the one that I saw in my daughter's did have a game design program. But again, it wasn't any technology involved in it. It's just, you know, like, how do you make a new sport game or how do you make, which is still great because you still talk about rules and mechanics um, and like components of games. So yes, they do, but it's not video game related. Um, and it's an optional thing if you happen to choose that track, if that makes any sense. Does that make sense? It's a very, 
like the curriculum and the structure of this organization is so impressive. I am always amazed at the Girl Scouts and their infrastructure and their ability to run such a huge and impressive organization on donations alone. It certainly does seem like a great organization that's nationwide. And it's awesome that we're able, that it's flexible, that's malleable and able to introduce new patches and give them a path to national recognition like that. Right. So, um, yeah, because they had, they've had long-standing pillars of categories that they need to hit with the girls, like honesty and trustworthiness and, you know, service. So to kind of try to shove some sort of new technology patch into a long-standing history of, of required stuff that you're supposed to go through with the Girl Scouts, like, yes, it's a goal, and I want it to be in there, but where it's going to go yet, I have no idea. And if it even fits in with their overarching national scale. So so the games that the original participants of this workshop last month and earlier this month, have those games been published? Are, they, are we able to see or play them anywhere? The cool thing about the GameStar Mechanic program that we use the technology portion is that the girls get a lifetime subscription to that program. So if you think about trying to teach a group of 25 girls a whole bunch about game design in four hours and then only half of that time you're allowed to be on a computer. The games that they make is really mostly, or their experience that they have is mostly a tutorial. And then they get to do some simple game creation, level creations. They get to do one level. Um, and then they have to play test because quality assurance and QA is a very important process of video game design. So um, they get to do that and share their experiences. So by the time that they learn how to use in a crash course kind of tutorial way and then create their first level and then um, have playtesting experience, those two hours are over. We do have access to see how they have been using the program after, but I haven't pulled those statistics yet to see. Um, that is something I am interested in. Now we are trying to encourage and let kids know about the National Video Game uh, STEM Challenge because these games could be submitted for those. So we're giving these girls opportunities to know about other groups that they can participate with. So yeah, we talked to them about the National STEM Challenge, uh, Technovation. We talked to them about Girls Makes Games. So we do give them stuff to go do afterwards, but like, are there huge thought out games that we can point you to right now to go play? Not yet, but I'm hoping to get those girls there. This is really just kind of like an introductory patch program that has not yielded a full catalog of, of games to play yet, but maybe that's somewhere that the, the program can grow in the future, but we're not there yet. And what would you say is the goal for this program? Certainly it's to introduce uh, young women to coding and game programming, but not everybody who tries this is necessarily going to end up in the games industry. So is it a matter of building their confidence or just letting them know that the possibility, the opportunity is there? Well, that's a, that's a really good question. It's not necessarily all about game coding and design. And one of the things that we actually focus in in the professional portion of the patch is that if you're an artist, there's a place for you. If you like music, there's a place for you. If you want to be a lawyer, become an entertainment lawyer. There's a place for you here. It's not just for the coders and for the people who want to do game level design. It's really just letting you know that if you love video games and you have other interests as well, you know, just know that there could be a place for you here if that's of interest, because when we have the panel of people who are females in the industry 
they always ask, well, how did you get started in this? And a lot of the women who speak to these girls admit that it was a happy mistake that they ended up there. They, they knew they wanted to be an animator. They loved playing video games growing up, but they took the film track because that was the only obvious choice for them. We felt that by letting them know early that you don't have to just be a coder if you want to you know, be involved in the video game industry. You can be there. If you want to be a coder, that's amazing. Still come and talk to somebody who is a coder and help to find out if like this is the type of coding that you want to do. So it is about opening their eyes to just this whole industry as a whole, because a lot of people in my generation, even a couple generations younger than me, end up here who are women as a happy mistake. And then they love it. And they're like, why aren't there more of us? And we have to go and catch kids earlier to let them know that that's even a possibility. And what other opportunities are there for them? For example, I know you're heavily involved in Indicate, aren't you? I used to be a couple years ago. Again, I made another human. So I've kind of been laying low for the last <laughs> couple of years. <laughs> but yes, I did. And I did attend this last weekend. So, I mean, I've gone every year and I love them and I help them out whenever I can. But I'm not as involved as I used to be. Because as you and I are speaking, Indicade West I see, uh, or Prime or the traditional Indicade Festival out in Los Angeles, that was just ended four, four days ago. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a couple of days ago. Uh, and it was wonderful. They switched it to the USC campus. Sadly, it's no longer in Culver City. But that seems like a great event to have invited the Girl Scouts to and say, hey, if you like this patch that you just did in this workshop this weekend, come check out Indicate and see where you could end up. Absolutely. And in fact, you know, there is, you know, Ken, there's so many things I would love to do with this program. So I'm like, absolutely. We totally could do that. <laughs> it's just, you know, finding somebody to, to, you know, curate all this information to give the girls. I think that we did mention it at these last couple of patch programs, because again, of my participation with Indicate in the past. So, um, you know, it was mentioned, but there would be, it would be nice to like keep connection with these girls afterwards to be like, Hey, Indicate's this weekend, like come and check new stuff out. But I don't think that the, the girls Scouts of greater Los Angeles is number one allowed to let you have that kind of access with them beyond to update them. But if there are, organizations or events, you know, that are pertinent. I, I do think that we would continue to include and mention those in the classes, but we don't have a scheduled, organized calendar of events that we're pushing the girls towards or letting them know about. Because, there's, you know, we do give them a handout of, of all different types of programs and tools they can use in specific disciplines that we give them. So maybe that's something we could augment with it. Ken, maybe you should come join our group and volunteer. <laughs> In my copious free time. Yeah, right. I'll just give up all these other podcasts that I do. Sure. <laughs> I, I, I've listened to your podcast before. Actually, it's really funny. I didn't realize that until I heard your voice when we got on the phone. I was like, oh, I've listened to this guy's podcast before. Oh, thank you. Good. <laughs> I appreciate that. So you said that you aren't necessarily giving them a calendar of events, but I am curious about other Girl Scouts who were not among the initial 50, what opportunities will they have to do this patch? Will it return to the greater Los Angeles area? Oh my gosh, that's a perfect question, Ken. Yes, as a matter of fact, and we're getting ready to do a video that's going to help get the word out that this is available now in Los Angeles. So if your troop wants to come or wants to have one of us come to your you know, troop meeting and like do a four-hour session, we'll do that. We'll come to you. Like That's what we train those teachers to do. If an organization in the Los Angeles area wants to host one, we can put it out on the public boards for the Girl Scouts to say like, hey, we're hosting one here this date, sign up. Those signups have and probably will continue to fill up quickly. 
So either we can go to the troop individually, if everybody in the troop is interested, or we can continue to host, um, or we can continue to partner with people who want to host sessions at their buildings and um, have us there. So there will be, you have to, if you want to take the patch or if you want to have a female video game developer come to teach the patch at your troop meeting, um, you email programs at girlscoutsla.org. So that's program at girlscoutsla.org. Excellent. And there'll be a link to that in the show notes found at polygamer.net. We've talked a lot about the Girl Scout patch that you've created in collaboration with multiple partners about its history, its implications, its future. There are a couple of other topics I'd love to chat with you about. But before we move on, is there any aspect of the Girl Scout patch that we've somehow overlooked? Let me think. Um, One thing that I know that we would love to do if if it happens in the Los Angeles area is to expand this patch into other age groups. Right now it's just for the juniors and the cadets. So eventually what we would like to do is have something at the senior level, at the ambassador level. The thing is if you're going to do something that spans ages, and this again goes into, you know, like curriculum creation, you can't assume that somebody was a junior and took the class if you're creating something for seniors and You can't create something for seniors that is just a copy of what somebody might have done as the juniors because they might have already taken that. So they have to be standalone, but they also have to have like a consistent theme and a growth throughout them if possible for those options. So that's something that we would like to take on later, which we haven't gotten to yet. But I would love to offer something for the older girls. One thing that I have noticed is working with the Girl Scouts um, and then having a Girl Scouts of, of my own is as they do get older their requirements are are pretty heavy, especially as the girls work towards their gold award, which is the equivalent of the Boy Scouts um, Eagle Scout-ish kind of thing. Those those girls are really um, busy when they get to that last point. So maybe it's just something for seniors. Uh, it would be really cool if we could do something for, for younger kids, but I don't think that their attention span is where where it needs to be to be able to do a four-hour patch session. So we're happy working with juniors and cadets, but it would be really fun to explore something for seniors and ambassador ambassadors as well, if there was space and time in their very busy schedules. Well, that's actually one of the things I want to talk about is there are a lot of groups doing similar things to what Wiggy is doing with this patch program, not specifically with the Girl Scouts, but the broader goal of getting young women into game design, introducing them to the concepts, making those opportunities available to them. Some great organizations like Girls Who Code, Girls Make Games, App Camp for Girls, Code Liberation Foundation, some of whom have been on this podcast. There's a lot of focus on addressing the issue early in the pipeline. And we could do a whole podcast about this next question, but what can we do to get not just girls into the games industry, but women to get them interested in the games industry? You've said yourself that you've spoken with people who stumbled into it by accident. How do we get more women to intentionally, purposefully consider the games industry and then make that career change if necessary? I could answer that question as a person, but I don't necessarily want to answer that question as a representative of women in games international. I can just speak from my personal experience. Okay, sure. As a mom of two people of, you know, two dependents. Um, luckily I have a very supportive husband who helps out, you know, as much as he can, because he also works. The video games industry is a very hard place to stay. 
It's a very hard place to stay. Um, crunch times are very difficult at studios. I was recently told not even to bother to apply to a studio because um, I had kids and I wouldn't be able to work the 14 hour days. If you look at the IGDA, the IGDA did a really good um, study a couple years ago, just like the demographics of games. Um, and if you look, people start dropping out of the game industry at like 40, 45. And as I'm hitting into that, you know, cause I'm 40, I don't mind telling you how old I am. As I hit into that like age bracket, a lot of my friends who have worked with me in games, I'm seeing them leave. Like they're going to Loot Crate or they're going to, you know, gaming that is uh, like types of casino gaming or they're leaving to go to more film industry. Um, I don't think that it's a coincidence that it also happens when they start having families. I'm going to be honest. It's for women that have stumbled into it. It seems like a lot of us stumbled into it at a younger age before we had started that. Um, so I do think that that's a barrier for women. I know that the video games industry has been criticized for that type of lack of work life balance. <sighs> so, and because there's not a lot of women in tech specifically already to try to get those women to come to video gaming, you know, it's, it's just a competitive space. And for me, again, as a person, not specifically as a member of women in games international, I think there's, there's a lot of other underrepresented groups that we need to, to round them out with, but everybody's trying to grab, you know, the underrepresented groups um, at the same time. So it is, you know, I don't really know what the solution is to pull women in at these later ages, except for the fact that, yeah, you know, I don't really know what the answer is to that. I wish I knew. So I think that's why we wanted to start earlier with Girls and the Girl Scouts. Because, you know, once you're kind of settled in to a career, it's hard to, to switch over. I don't feel like I answered your question, but I can tell you why it's hard to stay in <laughs> as a woman right. if you if you want to have a family. It's tough. I mean, it sounds like a lot of the issues that women face in the workforce are present in the games industry, but exacerbated, exaggerated yes. even. Right. Yeah. That's very unfortunate. <laughs> I know. It really is. And... um you know, we really are trying to change it. And I'm seeing so like when I go to GDC now, it's so nice to see a line at the bathroom. <laughs> you know, we, I think we all say it um, and it is getting better. And but it does seem like it's a lot of more younger women joining like the out of the college workforce that are that are getting into it, which is great. I don't know how we get an older demographic to move into this space. I don't know how to do that. Well, it's it's a big issue and one that will not be answered in the course of a single podcast, unfortunately. Yes. But there is, uh, you know, I do want to end on a high note, and there is a completely unrelated topic that I want to briefly chat with you about, which is that you just got home from Oculus Connect 3. Is that correct? I did. Yes, I did. Yeah, so this is an annual convention, I believe, for Oculus Rift, and it's the first time it's been held since the device became consumer available earlier this year in March of 2016. So what, if I may ask, what was Oculus Connect like? Well, I don't know if you know, but I'm actually in the Oculus Launchpad group for 2016, um, which is their initiative to try to get more underrepresented groups developing early for this platform. I actually did not know that. Yeah. So what's really funny about that is I'm trying to self-teach myself Unity and Unreal because through this experience of creating the patch myself and it's always kind of funny, like being in games and being not on the developer side, there's this kind of 
air that you're not really part of the games industry unless you're a developer. So I don't know if maybe that was what was constantly pecking at me that I'm like running this program, but I've never made a game myself. So I've always wanted to work in serious games. I don't know if you know what serious games are. Of course you do. But like if your listeners don't know, it's like taking that entertainment aspects of a video game uh, interface, but with long lasting takeaways, whether it's, you know, teaching or a simulation to help you with something or empathy or whatever. So um, when the application came out for the Oculus, I was like, I've always wanted to do this. Like they were going to give, you know, some unity training and give you some equipment and fly you up there to like, let you do the training. So um, that has been a wonderful experience for me. And I've made my first game development document. I have harnessed unity enough to do a thing, <laughs> which is how I describe it. To you people. did a thing. I did a thing. I know I did like a narrative tree and it all like links up and it's like the most beautiful thing I've ever seen when I've finished it because it, you know, I'm, I'm at age 40. It's like teaching an old dog, new tricks and it's tight. And my, my first uh, chapter is about save helping kids using Oculus where that, where that personal point of view is important, but helping kids escape life-threatening situations, but in a comical way. So chapter one or level one is how to escape a house fire. So I met with like a local fire agency to go through the, the, the list of things you do as soon as you smell smoke. Um, how do you, like, how do you do it? Do you open any doors? How do you escape? Who do you tell? Where do you wait? Those types of things. And then I have all my characters laid out and I submitted for the scholarship because they're going to give away some funds for people to do this. So I'm waiting to hear and I'm very excited. So, you know, I'm not a representative of Oculus. I can't necessarily speak about the whole Lucky Palmer thing, but I will say that I have personally seen Oculus putting its money where its mouth is with trying to get diversity in this platform. Um, I've benefited from it greatly. I get to go to Oculus. Uh, I've been going to Oculus since the beginning. Uh, so this was the third one. Um, and it's been a wonderful experience. And so now I'm hopefully going to become a game designer myself. And I'm realizing how overwhelmingly daunting it is because <laughs> they're like, you know, I'm just like, oh, I need a narrative tree. What is a narrative tree? I have to go learn how to make a narrative tree. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I need to develop characters. What's the best way to design characters? Like, let's go figure that out. I need low poly art. I don't know where to start. Like, so, you know, there's just so many aspects of it. And that was really cute in the video that we will release that shows some of the girls who took the patch. They're like, we never knew that there were so many disciplines that worked together. We just thought people went to the keyboard and went boop, boop, boop. <laughs> And it's like, no, there's a whole lot to it, which, again, was why it was so important to do this program with the girls. It's like if you're an artist, there is a place for you. You don't have to be a coder. People have this wall of barrier with video games where they think you have to be good on a computer. And I mean, I have, you know, a higher level than most computer skills, but it's a challenge to learn Unity and to, like, wrap your mind around, you know, making good characters and a good story with no bugs and it needs to move at a certain pace and it has to have the right number of achievements to move a player through it. Like it's a, for, for women who are really good at multitasking, I think this is a great field for them because <laughs> there's so much stuff going on in game development. So Oculus connect was amazing. They have been really supportive. Uh, I would love to do a VR patch for girl scouts, but I don't think that's going to happen <laughs> because of the requirements that I mentioned to you sooner. But it was it was it was fun and amazing, and they've been a really great team for me personally. Well, speaking of the requirements, 
there are a lot of VR options out now. As you and I are speaking, the Sony PSVR just came out. There's, of course, the Oculus and the HTC Vive. But not a lot of end users, not a lot of consumers are getting their hands on these just yet because there are such significant financial and hardware requirements to get these devices up and running, not to mention the space you need in your own home. Right. But But it sounds like, from your experience at Oculus, that you are you don't think that this is just a fad like 3D TVs were that's just going to come and go. This could possibly be the future, at least a future of gaming. I think it's definitely a future of gaming. I think there will always be something about consoles. Um, I think there will always be something about tabletop gaming. Like gaming's going to be in lots of different, you know, when, when TVs came out, you know, nobody got rid of theater. When theater came out, nobody got rid of books. Like, you know, it's just a, a new form of, of media. And I sometimes help out a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, Greg Catano. I don't know if you know him, who works at um, Unofficial Cardboard. And what I loved so much about Cardboard was it was mass accessible. And as I build my game for VR, even though it's funded by Oculus, I want to make sure that my stuff is available on Gear VR and can be downloaded on any um, phone, even iPhone, if you can use it with a Cardboard um, or Cardboard-like device. Um, so I think that, that that barrier to entry is not as bad as people think if they can get a viewer and people use the eye tracking as the cursor. Um, I think there's still a lot of opportunities. Now, of course, if you want to get things with the hand uh, controllers and the Oculus with the, the sensors and stuff, yeah, you're going to need a bigger space. I think that stuff's going to look really clunky to us in five years. I it's just going to get better and better and more simplified. But the fact that you can access access it on mobile, I think the entry level is a little bit better than people typically think for the, I hate to say lower end, but the simpler VR experience. Because film can be done that way. Um, you don't need an Oculus necessarily to see like a VR film or experience something like that. Does that answer your question? <laughs> you certainly have, and I'm looking forward to getting my hands on some of this equipment as well. Not necessarily at my home. Uh, a lot of these devices require a PC, a Windows-based machine. I'm a Mac user. I do have a PlayStation 4, but again, the expense, even given that I already have the base equipment, is prohibitive. Well, so- let me tell you, that's exactly what I told them at Oculus. Is, you know, Somebody in- introduced me as an Oculus developer, and I was like, <laughs> I don't even own a PC. Are you kidding me? I'm not <laughs> Like, I can't afford a PC and an Oculus. That's crazy. But what was really great at Oculus uh, Connect 3 is that they announced that not only are they um, working on making those computers more affordable, but they're even making laptops now that are VR ready. So if I do get that funding from Oculus, I do plan to get on a laptop that is VR ready because I, I do think that the it's it's good to invest because I'm also a Mac user and that is a problem because while I was trying to do something for the submissions for Oculus. I'm trying to use Unity on a Mac and I can't get it to, you know, talk to things that I needed to, even though I had the Android thing on there as well. So again, this is like those pioneer days, like while VR has been around for a very long time, um, you know, just commercially now that it's accessible, somewhat accessible, like you said, with the costs, um, that this is just going to continue to get better. There's going to be more accessibility. It's just got to get there. Um, but for creators especially, it's it's definitely an expensive endeavor. 
Well, it's an, it's an exciting time to be a gamer and to be in the game industry. We have more dimensions added to our games. We have more women being added to the games industry. Things are looking up all around. Yes. <laughs> yes, they are. I know, right? And we're, and we're part of that change. You know, Ken, you talking about stuff that's happening and like, you know, me with this program and like actually taking advantage of the programs that are out there, like the um, Oculus Launchpad program. Uh, that's what I love about this industry is people are youthful. They are imaginative. And they're innovative. And that's why I want to stay so hard, even if I can't find that right work-life balance. <laughs> it's worth fighting for. It's worth fighting for. And, you know, I just can't beat my coworkers and the friends that I've made in these this industry. Wonderful. Can you remind our listeners where to find you or Wiggy online? Any contact information that you want to include in the show notes? Oh, absolutely. So you can find me just on LinkedIn under Amy Allison. I don't have it. I'm not important enough that you have to like email me <laughs> or you have to like know my email to find me there. Um, so you can find me on LinkedIn, Amy Allison, and then getwiggy.com is our website. Uh, we're doing a new page to talk about the patch and stuff. So that's coming soon. Uh, we'll have a video up, but we're really good with our Twitter and our Facebook accounts to let people know what's going on, especially if we have discounts to conferences. It is a free membership. So all you have to do is go and click like and automatically you get all these great discounts to conferences and learn about new things. And I just and the Wiggy newsletter, and even though I'm a little biased, is one of the best newsletters I get in my mailbox. So I would sign up for that. So again, that's at getwiggy.com. I get those emails and I can attest to the fact that they are valuable. They've led me to many a story and interview candidate. So I recommend listeners check it out. Well, thanks so much, Ken. Yeah, thank you for your time. Amy Allison, Vice President on the Executive Board, Women in Games International, as well as a variety of other roles that we didn't really get to discuss, including Fat Droid, Angry Nerds, so much more. There's so much more to you, but maybe we'll just have to have you back on. Maybe we will next time about Roller Derby. How about that? Excellent. Talk to you then. Great. Thanks. This has been Polygamer, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at polygamer.net. Thank you.